and welcome to the Sports Key Podcast. My name is Katie, and in each episode, I'll be talking to experts in the world of sports facilities. Before we begin, here's a little bit about Sports Key. We are a sports facility management software, an online booking system designed to help people like you save time and increase revenue when it comes to managing your sports facilities. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the episode. We are welcoming Paul Patterson from Tony Patterson Sports Grounds. Tony Patterson Sports Grounds specialize in natural and synthetic pitch construction across the United Kingdom and Ireland. They've been industry leaders in pitch construction for over 45 years and have built over 200 pitches in the last decade. I had a great time chatting with Paul who shared his best tips for managing your pitches, the role of sports in the community, and so much more. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit TonyPattersonSportsGrounds.com. Welcome to our podcast, Paul. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you very much, Kitty. Good to be here. So, so you are from Tony Patterson Sports Ground. That's right. Uh, so do you want to just give us a moment about and tell us about like the services you provide, what your role is there, um, and a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, basically we specialize in sports pitch construction and all kinds, uh, natural grass, synthetic grass, running tracks, tennis courts, hockey pitches, football pitches, Gaelic pitches, rugby pitches, and anything to do with sports essentially, and outdoor sports. Um, and we've been building pitches for 45 years now, and we've over 400 um pitch installations complete and we recently won the 2021 SAPCA awards in the UK for a, for a project we completed in Cara and, and my role in the company is really as um, a contracts manager so I would um, organize and oversee and um, project manage multiple sites um, throughout the year. That's fantastic. Okay, so and tell us. I think I saw something about. Did you guys do um, a project with Lim- down in Limerick? Wasn't it? It was like a massive project, right? Yeah, we we've completed two projects now in the University of Limerick, and one back the first one back in twenty ten, um, which at that time was the largest synthetic pitch pitch installation in Europe, oh and God. we completed another one then in twenty to a couple of years ago now um, and again that was a similar size um, and again it's one of the, the biggest installations so yeah it was um, four soccer fields one of artificial turf one natural grass and um, GA pitch um, terracing spectator stands a pavilion building hurling walls car parks and an additional grass training area yeah so it was a pretty good facilities down amazing yeah so so a nice light project it probably didn't take yeah how long did a project like like that actually take uh that project i think was the guts of a year Mm, 10 or 12 months something like that so but it's it's used by a lot of um elite athletes so ul run a scholarship scheme where they've a lot of elite athletes that um come to train there um once the rugby is based there, they've guys going to the Olympics out of there. Um, so the facilities oh, wow. are used for all of that. And um, they then then they warm up to the running up to the rugby world cup. They the Italian rugby team came to train there. So oh my gosh, wow. They're well used. 
Yeah, very well used. And now, so just kind of going back to the basics when it comes to building pitches and whatnot, for any of our listeners who are interested in building a pitch for their sports facility, can you kind of just go through just the what they should be looking for, whether they should be looking for a natural pitch or a synthetic pitch, um, kind of the benefits of either or, or the challenges you, challenges you face with them, um, just kind of breaking it down for anybody who might not know where to start. Yeah, okay. So essentially natural grass is what is what everybody wants. So um, at the really high level, uh, a perfect natural grass pitch is, is what everyone wants to play on. Um, the problem comes when it comes down to back to, to club level where where everyone is trying to, clubs are trying to use these natural grass pitches maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 hours a week. Um, and simply natural grass is a living plant that it cannot sustain that amount of um, foot traffic. So unless it's a st- in a stadium environment where the pitch maybe only gets used 10 hours a week and has a huge budget to, and, and green, green keepers and groundsmen to look after it, it's difficult to sustain that. So particularly in the wintertime when there's heavy rain and, and things start turning muddy. Um, so in a club environment then, whenever kids are out, obviously... It's, it's not as enjoyable when they're when the kids are out playing in the mud and, and during the winter. So in times like that, then, it's probably more whenever a synthetic all-weather pitch looks to be more attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and kids enjoy it more than they get to be, they, they're able to play football and not be worried about being freezing cold and soaking wet. Absolutely. So, so it's just determining which you know where where the club is, what what ultimately what how much use the pitch is going to get, and and what's going to be used for. And kind of talking about when you were kind of mentioning with UL and um, the elite athletes that kind of practice mm-hmm. there and train there, is there a benefit in terms of injury prevention and stuff when you're kind of looking at three G pitches? Because I know if you're kind of on an uneven kind of ground base, you could have. Any, any divots in the grass or anything could be a risk. So is there a bit more protection for, for elite athletes if they're training on a synthetic pitch? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of studies and, and, and work has gone into this over the last number of years, particularly as elite, elite athletes are, are using artificial pitches more and more. Definitely, if it's a, if it's a pretty kept um, natural grass field um, if the surface is uneven there's a there's a high risk of injury there and um, so an artificial pitch would be is, is, is much better and um, when it comes to comparing a perfectly prepared natural grass pitch to an artificial pitch um, there's the there doesn't seem to be any evidence of any um, issues with artificial pitches which some um, physios would would maybe be wary of and um, particularly to do with 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 joints and tears but uh modern artificial pitches now have, have underlying shock pads and mm. there's a lot of work done on that to, to ensure there is no no in injury issues i mean some of the the elite pitches that we've done like um cardiff blues and, and ulster rugby train on them that there doesn't seem to be any issues with um, greater injuries on them that's a great point. Perfect. And kind of just kind of going off of that. So 
when you are looking at synthetic pitches and when we're kind of talking about some of the big, bigger projects and stuff, I know there's a lot of accreditations that are kind of out there. Um, like if I think like there's a FIFA certification or, or accreditation, how important are those? Are they necessary when you're kind of looking into a pitch? Which ones should people be looking into? Uh, can you just kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. A bit? Yeah. So they're, they're, they're critical. Um, particularly with world rugby and um, your pitch, if you want to be certified for, or to use it for, for rugby purposes, it needs to be certified to world rugby for insurance purposes for the players. Um, and that has to be retested every two or three years and recertified to, um, to make sure that, that that is still up to the standards that it needs to be. And that, that, that's a full rugby test that's completed when the pitch is finished. So it checks for shock absorption, traction, surface evenness, um, ball bounce, there's a huge number of, of elements that they test for that. Um, FIFA have similar tests, um, maybe not as tight on, on the insurance end, but uh, again, it, it ensures that your pitch is up to, to high standards. Um, the GAA, have, they, they have tests, they're not as, as again, not as tight on the retest, um, but I think they're looking into that at the minute. So, But all those things just ensure that the, the pitch is, is up to standard in day one, but then you really want to be rechecking that every, maybe every every three, every, different codes have different re, recheck test periods. So, um, you know, just depending on what code of sport you're playing to. And so kind of coming back to the rechecking and stuff like that, how important is like pitch maintenance, especially like, I know it would be different for a synthetic versus a grass pitch, but how important is like regular maintenance, making sure that things are kind of being held up to standard and what kind of funds are involved as well? Like how expensive is it to kind of keep your pitch um, up and running? Yeah, so I mean, 20, 20 or 30 years ago, these pitches, all the other pitches were sold on the basis they didn't need any maintenance and you just turned up on a Saturday morning and opened the gate and away you went. But um, if you want to get... The maximum out of the pitch, you, you need to maintain them, and then and um, clients need to be aware of that whenever they're purchasing a pitch for these. So, generally speaking, depending on how much usage they get, um, they'll be brushed um, once once a week, maybe once a fortnight. And um, this is for an all weather pitch. And mm -hmm. um, then they get um, some further, more specialist work, maybe decompaction and. Um, Maybe it might need infill topping up, depending whether it's, it's rugby or um, hockey or or a soccer or rugby or GA. It'll be a different um, infill, and um, that might might need top maybe once a year a little bit, and um, needs sprayed for for weeds and algae. Um, but generally, it, it's it's not too much for no weather. Um, obviously, if it's a natural grass pitch, the grass needs cut you know, at least once once a week. It needs fertilized. It needs scarified, it needs um, top dressed, it needs overseeded. There's a lot more work goes into that. Yeah, I was going to say, is it how important is it for facilities to kind of have a sinking fund when it comes to their pitches? Make sure that they have that yeah, no, that, that's, that's, a, that's a huge thing. So um, particularly for, for the all-weather pitches, a, sink, a sinking fund needs to be there that, that they have the money for the maintenance and then they have they have the money to replace the field and... and 10 or 15 years time, depending on how much they use it. So um, if they have that all in place, then everything 
keeps up to standard. The money's there to replace it when it needs replaced. Um, for the natural fields, I, I, again, you have the, the ongoing weekly maintenance. And then generally there would, there would be renovations carried out in those pitches as well, depending on what level they're playing to. So, um, and that, that can vary depending on climatic conditions and mm-hmm. how wet the, the year has been. Yeah, I think one of the things that we come across, so obviously we provide the the booking software and the management software for sports facilities. And I think one of the key points for our software is that a lot of people, when they're, when they're putting up a new pitch, they, they don't really take into consideration as much as maybe they should the importance of a sinking fund. And that's why we recommend they book out their facilities online because that money can go towards that sinking fund. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's easy just to kind of build a new pitch and think you're, you're done, but you, you do have to kind of care for the, that maintenance part of it as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. So, so if a local venue is looking to build a new 3G pitch, let's say, what are some of the key things that they, could, they should be looking for in the process? So if they, if they don't know anything about kind of, they know they, they want to build a 3G pitch, they have some money set aside for it, but they don't really know where to begin, where would you recommend that they start? Yeah, well, um, generally, the first thing they should do is, is, is speak to speak to a specialist, uh, whether it be a, a specialist design consultant or or a contractor or somebody involved in the business just to to, to help out. Um, but firstly, they they need to look at uh, are they going to need planning permission? So, um, are they going to need? Uh, do they want floodlights? Um, if, if if they do, it's straight away it needs planning permission. Um, they need to look at the costs, obviously. So um, the initial costs, the ongoing running costs, and, and as you mentioned there, uh, a sinking fund. Um, what's the pitch going to be used for? Who's it going to be used for? Is it going to be their main playing pitch for matches or is it going to be their secondary pitch where they're keeping a the main grass pitch good for matches and they use the, the an all-weather pitch for, for training and for, for, for everything else, essentially? Um, is it going to be underage? Is it going to be full size? Um, are they going to rent it out to other clubs or to, or for, for to the community for five aside? Or are they going to keep it in house? Uh, and if they are going to rent it out, how are they going to run that? How are they going to operate that? You know, do they need some sort of coin operated system for lights, or is it is it going to be is it going to be a person there to manage all this? Um, Changing rooms, you know, if, if they are renting out, to, does the public need to get changed? You know, all these things need to be need to be thought of. Right, and, and is there anything that you would really recommend people avoid when they're going to be building a new pitch? Any any to any to don'ts, not to do's when they're kind of going about this process? Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's many. <laughs> yeah, probably the, the the key thing is don't. Don't just march on and do your homework um, and, and look at the big picture. So um, and the cheapest way isn't always the best way. Um, so look at it over a 10, 20 year period as an investment, not as a two year budget investment where you know the, the cheapest thing over two years. It's probably the most expensive thing over 20 years whenever you yeah. come back to it. So yeah, that's probably the big thing. Do your homework. Yeah, that's absolutely key, I think, because I mean, in all sorts of purchases, you, you want something that has the most 
longevity. And if you have something that's really well put together, especially when you come to online bookings or something like that, it can really increase your revenue as well. So even though it might have a more upfront cost, it can kind of keep turning over more revenue for you long-term. Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's fantastic. And I kind of just coming back to you personally. So what are some of like the most enjoyable projects that you've worked on? I'm curious about, you've seemed to have done Tony Patterson sports ground seem to have done so many. So what are some of your, your favorites? Do you think? Oh, good question there too. Um, one is actually probably a project in West Belfast, which was um, an area which was, was derelict and was full of antisocial behavior and vandalism. And it was just destroyed. It was, it was David's GAC and um, it was, it was in bad state of repair um, and the club done a lot of work and um, fundraising and they got um, different bodies on board for, for grant funding and they, they did a great project where they, they installed, um, we did changing rooms and they put in a playground and a car park and a new full-size natural grass field and uh, an all-weather training area and it had a a walking trail around it for the community and it had so many elements for the whole local community not just for the club um, and it turned a really deprived area um, which was which had antisocial behavior and a, a great setup at the end you know it was and, and everybody bought into it it was a big whole community effort so it was it was good that's fantastic. Yeah. I think yeah. that's one of the most incredible things about working in like the sports sports industry, but specifically the sports facility industry is the impact it can have on the community. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden the kids had somewhere to go, they had somewhere to go and play ball rather than hanging on street corners, you know, the, the club could get them in and, and, you know, there's a huge community benefit there for everyone. Um, so. mm-hmm. And then it, you can even look at it in terms of the like the health and the mental health benefits as well. So if your if your kids don't have anywhere to go and they, they're engaging in these this antisocial yeah. behavior, their mental health is is not going to thrive. So one of the massive benefits of exercise and sports is 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 providing that kind of that benefit to people, and especially with young kids and and teenagers as well. I think that even in the best of places, teenagers don't get up to the best. Yeah, exactly. Best yeah. So yeah. Incredible. I think that's that's something that is so fantastic about the industry and what you guys are specifically doing is. Yeah. Is and especially in, in COVID times too, you know, it gets mental health is really important. So it gets, you know, there's a place for them to go again when when lockdown lifts, they can all they can all yeah. get into there and get together. So you know, it's good. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, I, I love that answer. I think that's so interesting. Like, I think it's, it would be an easy answer for somebody to say, Oh, well we did this massive project and it was. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've done lots of big projects and we've done lots of elite team, you know, international teams and everything else, but I think that's one that sticks, sticks in my head. So. Yeah. Those are, and those are the ones that really matter. So that's, yeah. that's amazing. And just kind of a, just a, a, a sort, sort of a simple question for you just in our last kind of few minutes here. So when I kind of look into, you know, 3D pitches or synthetic pitches, it seems like there are so many different kind of terms. So you've got 3D pitches, you have 4G, I think there's 5G. What is the difference? <laughs> what should certain sports be looking for? Oh yeah, for? this is this this is one we, we get asked a lot. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, no difference. Um three 
if we go back to the start, 2G was the original all-weather pitch, which was um, the hockey-type surface where, if you remember back in the, the Premiership football days, was the, the, the original surfaces that came in that everybody hated. And um, that evolved into to 3G, um, which became a, like a long pile carpet with, with rubber crumb in it, and it, it gave a, a fibre on the top to interact with the ball. And that has evolved a lot over the last 20 years and that there's better playing performance and better, better durability. And, you know, there's, there's huge improvements in that and upgrades in that. But anything in our industry that has an infill, whether it be sand and rubber or, or natural products like cork or, or whatever, it's still, it's still termed as 3G. And um, 4G is, is, it will come sooner or later, but it, and it is being developed by numerous different manufacturers, but it, it, it isn't quite there yet. And 4G means that there's no infill. Oh, okay. um, and, 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 and only the yarn. So it's being worked on, but it, it, it's not there. It, it's given performance at the minute for a shorter period of time, but it, it isn't performing um, for for long enough to 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 warrant a full rollout um, everywhere yet, and four four G and five G has really come from the media where there's maybe been a bit of marketing around different products, and they've said, oh, we have a new four G surface, and then somebody else has said, oh, we have a five G, and it's it's really a lot to do with marketing. Yeah, I think that's definitely what comes across, at least from my kind of um, just my view. Is I see, I feel like it's. It's, it's more of a marketing term. It's more of kind of a, a way to kind of one-up maybe your neighbors. Yeah, exactly. IG, so. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. So we'll be at 10G this time next year. Yeah. <laughs> yep, we're on our way. There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I think that is going to be so helpful for people. Anybody who's kind of, whether they're looking to build a pitch or they don't really know where to start, or maybe they have one and just don't really know how much they should kind of be keeping up to it. So it's been absolutely fantastic having you. And I think um, you guys are just doing amazing things. And so if you're looking to build a pitch, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're ready to, to take the leap now, definitely, definitely give Paul Brilliant. a to Tony Patterson. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Sports Key podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Sports Key and our software, you can visit www.sportskey.com. See you next time.